look. Come on. Come on. There you go. If you like the sweet science, get ready to talk boxing on the Gloved Fist podcast with top boxing writers Frank Letirzo and Jack Hirsch. Frank, a former amateur boxer out of Philadelphia, writes for NY Fights and can be seen on the Boxing Channel. Jack, an amateur boxer who competed in the New York Golden Gloves, was a six-term president of the Boxing Writers Association. And now, here's Frank Letirzo and Jack Hirsch. And we're back. Welcome to Glove Fist, the best listen and learn boxing show on the air. My name is Frank Letirzo, former fighter, part-time writer, full-time observer. And I am joined by my co-host, Jack Hirsch, former six-term president of the Boxing Writers Association of America. Jack, we're both in Florida. The weather is great here. I couldn't wait to get here. I'm loving it. We have a lot to talk about. We're going to talk light heavyweights. We're going to talk birthdays. We're going to highlight fighters. And we're going to kick it off with you talking about a fight that happened Saturday night. But before we do that, Joe, Jack, how are you? And tell me about Joe Smith's performance the other night. Hey, I'm great. Listen, my co-host, Mac, of the Mac and Jack Sports Show, there's no bigger Joe Smith booster than Mac. I mean, Mac feels he's going to knock out all the better beef. He'll knock out Canelo Alvarez. He's really high on Joe Smith. And Joe Smith did nothing Saturday night to alter Mac's opinion. He did what he had to do. He had a late sub substitute in Steve Gafford, who was ironically preparing for a fight in Delray Beach on that show. So he was, his opponent was in shape. Even though he was a, a late sub rank, he was training for another fight. And he went in against Joe Smith. Joe Smith was a level above. We hear the term that different levels in boxing. And Joe Smith was on a completely different level. And Joe Smith was patient. He wore his opponent down, stopped him in the ninth round. And keep in mind, Joe Smith was coming off about with COVID himself. Even though he'd been recovered for a couple of months, I don't have to tell you, Frank, it does take something out of you because you can't train with the same intensity, so you're off your routine. So it takes a few months to get back to normal. But what I like about Joe Smith, Frank, no matter how you think he's going to do against the other elite light heavyweights, or even stepping out of his you know, division against Canelo, uh, he'll fight anyone. He's old school in that sense. And he's earned this position the hard way, you know, he, you know, beating guys like Alita Alvarez, uh, uh, Andres Fonfora, Jesse Hart on the way up. You know, that there's some meaningful wins there. I mean, he's he's old school in the sense he's earned it the hard way. Jack, Joe Smith is probably the easiest guy in boxing next to Sean Porter, who's now retired, to root for. Joe Smith has two things that cannot be taught and before i touch on them let me just say as i said i think i posted after the fight there are levels and joe smith was at least two levels above steve gefford but what i like about joe smith and why he is in it look i i could never pick him to beat better beat but I'll, i will say this he has what cannot be taught one he can punch and he lets his hands go and two he is very determined. I've had a broken jaw. I was sparring. I only fought three rounds with it. He fought a whole fight with it. The guy is a beast and he's tough. But at the end of the day, I just think he's a little slow and he has some defensive vulnerabilities. However, his power, his determination, and his ability to let his hands go could make up the difference. Here's what I want for Joe Smith, Jack. 
I want him to get a big money fight. I don't care if it's B or B or Canelo or somebody else. He has earned it. He will give the fans their money's worth, and you can't count him out. Yeah, you know, let's let's be honest about Canelo's the opponent everyone wants to fight, not because Canelo's easy to beat. He might be the hardest guy to actually beat. But with Canelo, like we've said before, even if you lose to him, you win because the payday is so enormous. Everyone wants to go in with him. And everyone's eyeing, what's Canelo going to do Cinco de Mayo, you know, in the beginning of May? Who's he going to fight? The talk is Jamal Charlo has the inside track. Well, Charlo's an established champion. He fights for Al Heyman's PBC. Charlo's going to want to get paid very, very handsomely. What happens if negotiations hit a snag and Charlo wants a little too much? Joe Smith is the type he'd be willing to take, I don't want to say significantly less than Charlo, but maybe clearly less than Charlo would. He would try to accommodate Canelo to make the fight happen. Joe Smith... I mean, he owns a uh, a tree-cutting business, even on the side, you know? So this is a guy who has a lot going for him. And you get the feeling with Joe Smith, it's more than just about financial gain. He really wants to establish himself as a great champ. Everyone does. But with Joe Smith, you get the feeling that's a little more of a priority than the dollars, no pun intended, that he could rake in. I definitely agree with that, Jack. I think Joe Smith has something that Canelo wants and why I think he may be ahead of the curve regarding Charlo. Look, Canelo's already been the middleweight champ. He beat the perceived best guy, or on the record, he he's 2-0 against them. I'm sorry, the, the first fight was a draw. But I'm sorry, I... Golovkin a draw, and then he got the decision over Golovkin. Right, right. But I'm so convinced that Golovkin won the first fight. However, but yes, it was he's, you can't he's bring undefeated. To saying he, it was a draw the first fight. Right. I had it eight to four for Golovkin. Right. So he has a draw in the win. So it is a winning record against the perceived best guy. You could say that he's already won the light heavyweight title, but I think that second belt at light heavyweight does more for him them beating Charlo. And I think the same thing applies with Joe Smith. I think he gets more mileage beating Smith than he would Charlo. Even though Charlo may be the more established guy, I think that's the better fight as far as interest. Nobody doubts that Joe Smith is willing, that he can punch, that he's a big guy. I talked to Bernard Hopkins, who was fought Charlo, I fought Smith in his last fight. He said, Frank, the guy's a life taker. He can really punch. He's one of the hardest punching guys I've ever been in with. And then lastly, Jack, I kind of think that Canelo, because he has that business brain, I do think he looks at Joe Smith and he probably sees some holes. And I think he thinks at the end of the day, he has more to gain and he's a little less risky than Charlo, even though he's clearly a bigger puncher. Well, you know... I believe Canelo, when he says he doesn't even analyze who he fights, Eddie Reynoso, his trainer, you know, his mentor makes those decisions. I'm not saying Canelo doesn't question him ever, but I don't think Canelo's overly concerned. If Eddie Reynoso says you can beat this guy, I think he goes for it. Uh, Eddie Hearn wanted to follow your blueprint, Frank, uh, the matchmaker promoter. He said Dimitri Baval first, because Dimitri Baval's on the contract, the matchroom. Easy fight to make. Joe Smith's second. He's with Joe DeGuardia Star Boxing. So they can make that fight. Joe DeGuardia. And it's a rematch. Yeah. And Joe, no, well, no, I mean Smith and Canelo. As oh, okay. He wants to I thought you meant Bibble. And then to finish off things, Eddie Hearn would then do business, you know, uh, with better be, you know, a top rank. And they, they'd make that fight the third fight. So he kind of wants him to unify the belts along there. But, you know, you get the feeling Canelo, at least Eddie Reynoso, he's ducking and dodging in Canelo's career the way Canelo does in the ring because that's the specter of David Benavides, and that's gaining momentum, Frank. If You know, right. you, just, you just unified the super middleweight title. 
But there is one super middleweight out there who poses a threat. And some people think he poses a serious threat to Canelo. And if that fight was going to be made, Frank, Canelo against David Benavides, regardless of who you're picking, wouldn't you be very, very excited if you heard that fight was made? Jack, I've been saying all along, and remember, I'm the guy that was very adamant Canelo was the fighter of the year. However, the best guy out there, he did not fight. And remember, if you look at the guys Canelo beat to unify the junior, the super middleweight title, I think both of us would pick Benavides over the three of them. So to me, that's still the biggest fight in the super middleweight division. So I can see that gaining momentum, but I get the feeling they don't want to fight Benavides. I don't think it's because they they fear losing, but I've heard Reynoso say Benavides hasn't earned it. Nobody knows who he is. We both know that's BS. That's the big fight. But for some reason, I get the I get the feeling they don't want it, and I'm not going to say they're afraid because I would pick Canelo, but it would be a tough fight. It would definitely be competitive. You know, Benavides has had trouble making weight. Now, I've been a supporter of Demetrius Andrade for a long time, saying he's one of the most avoided men in boxing. I'm right. calling Demetrius Andrade out on this show right this second. I'm challenging Demetrius Andrade, move up to super middleweight and challenge David Benavides. And then the winner of that fight becomes such a powerful contender for Canelo that if Canelo didn't fight the winner of an Andrade-David Benavides fight, it would be clear he would be ducking, you know, the winner of that fight. Jack, I can see that. But can I tell you something? If I was managing Andrade... I wouldn't do that. It's good for the fans, but he's positioned himself where, again, according to the business model, he wants the big money fight. He'd get paid well if he fought if he fought Benavides, but it would not be the lottery payday, and there's a big risk there. I would go wins, for Canelo if, if wins, I was him. If he wins, he can't avoid him anymore. He can't be avoided if he beat Benavides. That's my point. Canelo could not avoid him anymore. But it is a risk. And, and, and it's like you wait this long, you go through 31 fights, you want to get that payday. Benavides is bigger than Andrade. I think he'd be the favorite. I think it would be a tough fight. But the payoff is there. Look, it, it's a risky business. It's a hurt business. But... I, if I was managing Andrade, I would talk about it. I would pray, I would yell for it, but I would not. I don't know if I would go through with it. I'm not sure Benavides would take that fight. I am. I have doubts whether he would take the fight. You but think no the style of, of Andrade would bother him, Andrade and he might has, not want to take the same risk? Andrade has a shutdown style, kind of the same way. Listen, the fight that they're talking about in April, let's talk about shutdown style. Shakur Stevenson, he has an absolute shutdown style. He's supposed to be fighting Oscar Valdez. Oscar Valdez. Now, maybe Oscar Valdez is as good as Shakur Stevenson. Maybe he's a little better, maybe. But Shakur Stevenson has the style to shut anyone down. So hard to hit from long range. It doesn't make for the most exciting fights most of the time. But that's the type of opponent you don't want to fight. So, And I'm a little surprised, and I'll credit Oscar Valdez for taking that fight, assuming they are going to go through for the right. Probably it's close to being signed. But that's a big, big fight. Here's the thing that makes Stevenson such a pain in the rear, and Jack, and I've always said this. He is a boxer. He's a defensive first fighter. However, he is stronger than he looks and gets credit for. He has a better chin than people think. So when you go in against a guy who's an excellent boxer, who's strong with a good chin, that's a tall order. I would take Stevenson in that fight. But I'm glad they're making the fight between young guys that are on the way up. That's the type of fights that we want to see. Yeah, yeah. Uh... Joe Bergman, thanks for agreeing with me 200%, Joe, before. But deep down, we both... You're the star tonight, Jack. You got Scoop Boxing and you got Joe Bergman. 
and Benavides. I propose to fight. You know, it makes sense, but things that make sense in boxing usually don't happen. So right. The best defensive boxer in all of boxing. Well, let's put it this way, Joe. He he never gets seems to get hit. I can't even remember Stevenson getting hit solidly in any of his fights. I would say Stevenson's in the conversation among the top two or three. I still Lomachenko's probably up there. Who else else off the top of my head? I'd have to think. Well, defensively. Let, let, well, well, getting off the deep defensive part of it, a couple of guys who want the defensive are going out in social media. George Camposis and Devin Haney. Uh, is it going to take place? I hate to see guys go back and forth on Twitter and then the fight not take place. If they're going to fight, too. they can go back and forth on Twitter. But what I really hate, Devin Haney, as good a fighter as he is, he has absolutely zero right to call himself a world champion. And Eddie Hearn, stop this nonsense. The lightweight title is not being unified in that fight. Cambosis <laughs> is the champ. Haney holds no. He holds the Eddie Hearn ridiculous belt. Okay, I don't want to hear he's a franchise champion. He holds a stupid title. Let me whatever title Devin Haney holds, it's ridiculous. And Devin Haney is a complete fool if he thinks that fight is to unify their titles. Cambosis has no use for the foolishness belt. Nope. Devin Haney is bringing to the table. What, what's he Cambosis beat the, the man who beat the man. Hey, He's the champ. Like Frank, Cambosis is bringing all the food. And he's bringing like a plastic silverware. And they don't need because Cambosis is coming with regular, right. regular silverware as well. And, Ham, and, and Haney's throwing down, you know, his plastic forks and whatever. You know, it just, but listen, with that said, especially if Haney goes to Australia, it's a good fight. But if Haney does go to Australia, it, it is a little bit revealing because it shows that Haney didn't quite hit the stardom projected for him because a superstar fighter doesn't give up that type of advantage until he hits superstar status. But that tells you he's and pretty confident he, he thinks he can beat him. Guy. But then he fights a lesser guy in the guy's home country. He doesn't put himself, you know, in that situation. But listen, but if Haney goes there, you know, kudos to him. Can he get a fast shake in Australia? I'm not sure. That's the thing. But I think Haney, because he's so gifted, I think he looks at Cambosa and says, you know what? There's a guy I can probably beat overwhelmingly enough that on the cards, maybe they can't screw me. I think that's how he looks at it. I'm not sure who I'd pick in the fight, but if I was Haney and I could get the fight, Jack, he's in the, he's in the situation now that he has to go there because, again, he beat the man who beat the man who beat the man, and that would be a big upshot for his career. Reportedly is willing to go to Australia. Okay, so why would Haney get the nod over Lomachenko doesn't he won't he, he won't but I'm, I'm saying if he did get it I'm saying if he did get it I would pick Jack let's let's be honest right now there's no lightweight I would pick over Lomachenko except perhaps maybe Tank Davis but it was in the if it was the next fight I don't think I would but I think right now Lomachenko would be favored over every lightweight in the world He's he was overrated a few years ago. Now he's underrated, and I think that I think that's in play. I think I think he's getting written off a little too much. But I do think the odds makers know enough. I think Lomachenko would be favored over every lightweight in the world. But they're good fights with the lightweights. Look, if Ryan Garcia. You know, I don't want to use the word get it together because Ryan Garcia has issues. I believe he really does, and we wish him well. You know, Mental and psychological issues, yes. Right. Maybe he's doing better now. He says he is. For his sake, we really hope he is. And the problem with Tank Davis, your guy, he's an over he's overprotected. To see the, and we know why. By Mayweather, by Mayweather, yeah, by Floyd Mayweather's promoter calling the shots. But unfortunately, I don't see it changing with Tank Davis unless they can get the one mega fight and they decide, okay, this fight 
is financially too great for us to turn down. We got to kind of go for it at a certain point. Jack, like I said, with these lightweights, I really do believe if they would all fight each other, there's not one guy that would go undefeated against the field. They'd make a ton of money and they'd realize that a loss wouldn't hurt the record. Like we saw with the four Kings of Hagler, Hearns, Duran and Leonard. But today they're just driven too much by business and the undefeated record. You know, and some of them play the role of businessmen. Uh, Keith Thurman, he's going to be having a pay-per-view uh, match. Uh, you know, February 5th. About February 5th. Oh, it's, it's sneaking up on us. A few weeks. Yeah, I guess three weeks. Anything more than two is a few. Uh, I guess Mario Barrios, a good, solid fighter, but not elite. Not elite. He's like a second-level like amongst the Richard Kami types, you know, they're, they're coming up the rear, you know, Isaac Cruz, guys who pose a threat, but they're not the elite guys. And it's, it's a fight that Thurman needs, Jack, because he needs a win over a name. And he, I believe he believes if he gets that win, he enters the possible Crawford, Ennis, Spence sweepstakes. I think, I think Crawford's the one who's really going to get – you know, frozen out. It is. He hasn't signed with anyone. He's suing top rank, but that's another issue. I can't see the foundation behind the law, his lawsuit. I can't see it going anywhere, but that's another issue. But, but Jack, you know what? That's a, that's a big issue. Let's hit that for a second. I think Crawford's making a mistake. I'm sorry. When you bring race into it, and it's really to a degree unfounded, I know guys, and you know guys that have fought with have fought under Aram, and I could find 10 guys that would say, you know, Crawford's right, and we could find 10 guys that say, no, Crawford, there's no substance to this. But I just think at the end of the day, Jack, I think it, does, it doesn't put Crawford in the best light, and I don't think it's a good management move. You know, and, it, and if he's serious about the lawsuit, he's going to lose a lot of money. I, I agree. For me, and, and you know the odd part about it, Frank, Crawford has been well paid for his fights with top rank. He hasn't gotten the mega money, but when you're getting three, four, five million dollars a fight, you're doing well on balance for the guy. Jack, I saw the other day he made more money than Lomachenko in his last five fights. That's a bet I would have lost. Yeah, yeah. And uh, but but the thing I'm saying, so Keith Thurman, we I'm sure you'll agree with me. You expect him to beat Mario Barrios. Absolutely. Okay. Now, if assuming he does that, and let's assume Errol Spence beats Jordanus Ugas, it's not a lock, but Spence is better, and you think he should win the fight. You agree with me? I think the style matchup favors him. Okay. Right. Okay. So now, what do we have next to freeze Crawford out? We have Thurman and Spence. Spence can continue to avoid Crawford. And what's Crawford supposed to do in the meantime? Who he's supposed to fight? He's burned his bridges with top rank, it appears. Even though Aaron would take anyone back if it means, you know. Money. Take the money. They could do some business with him later on. But for now, he's burned that bridge with top rank. I agree. I think I don't think he wins the lawsuit. He could sign with the PBC and they eventually get him the winner of the – Spence Thurman fight if it comes to that, but that's going to be a ways off. And let me tell you something. Spence has been a wimp to the point avoiding the Crawford fight, making unreasonable financial demands. But if he beats Yugis and Thurman and Spence is hanging around doing very little, I'd agree. Spence deserves a bigger cut at that point. You know, he actually would have earned it. Jack, it would be hard to argue if he notches a couple of those wins yeah. and Crawford is sitting around. And you know what may hurt Crawford too, Jack? Guess who he may he may have to fight to stay in the limelight. He may have to fight either Ennis or Virgil Ortiz. And you know what? They could be two of the toughest fights out there for him. And if he slips a little bit because he's not a kid either – you know, his we may ne- we may never see the best of Terrence Crawford, and it's a shame because of a, some bad decisions. It looks like he's in the midst of making, and the fact of his age and the management part, we may not have seen the best of 
Terrence Crawford. And I think that's sad because, I, Jack, I think he's an all-time talent. And it's sad that we'll never see the best of him, in my opinion. Let me tell you what bothers me about Crawford. The only thing, I don't put him under the category of necessarily the most avoided fight anymore in boxing. Uh, not by a long shot anymore because Virgil Ortiz uh, called him out after he beat, uh, you know, one of Crawford's past opponents. And Crawford said, well, he doesn't have the experience. He hasn't gotten up to my level yet for me to take the fight. But it would be an appealing fight with a hot shot prospect like Ortiz. It would perk our interest. We would probably favor Crawford, but it would be a fight that would pose a threat to Crawford that we wouldn't mind seeing. Listen, Jerron Ennis hasn't earned a shot at any of the big guys. Not at all. Not earned it. But you put him in with them, it's mouth-watering. And I might pick Ennis to beat anyone conceivably, you know, in and around this way. If I'm Crawford, though, the way I'm looking at Virgil Ortiz, I'm thinking that I don't have a lot to gain and a lot to lose. And that's what puts him in a bad situation because be Ortiz is a threat. Lucrative. It would be Ortiz is a threat, Jack. I don't know how much money it would be because it would be a fight that would only attract boxing fans. You and I would love to see it. I think at the end of the day, I think Crawford takes him apart. But Ortiz is good. Crawford's getting older, and it is kind of a risky fight. I got to tell you the craziness in boxing, Frank. Amongst the guys Crawford beat, okay, uh, who top right had to get him opponents, and they got decent paydays, Amir Khan and Kel Brook. They're going to be fighting one another in the UK. The Don Place is selling out a stadium. They're going to be making more money than Crawford, Amir Khan. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it, and Amir Khan's been sparring with Crawford. And that fight should have been made when both guys were in their prime. They're past their prime, Amir Khan and Cal Brook, but they have name value still, even at the end of the line. And the only reason they're fighting, you want to know why they're fighting now? Money. Nowhere else to go. Yep. It's like Frank. Like you're looking for a place to stay and say, oh, I would never stay in a dumpy apartment like this, something. And then all of a sudden you don't have any money and you'll stay in any apartment. Anywhere because you want shelter. Overhead, and that's what these guys are doing. But Jack, they, they, they have the benefit of one thing, though. They're, you, they're fighting in the UK. It's big there. It's been a rivalry. It's the last stop for both of them. They could do that. That fight in the United States wouldn't draw anything. And let me tell you, one thing Crawford never really did, that if I'm going to be critical at top rank, and I'm not being critical, but if I was looking for an argument, Crawford was from, is from Omaha, okay? And let's face it, in this modern day and age, you don't get any great fighters coming out of Omaha, <laughs> no big names. And it was like when uh, Virgil Hill was in North Dakota, they used to put on his fights there, it was a big deal. Why didn't they promote him in Omaha? Would have, they would have taken such pride in their favorite son, Terrence Crawford. They could have got massive crowds, big paydays. But you want to know something? Maybe I'm missing the point myself that we're living in a television age with the ratings, and maybe that's where the money comes. And maybe and, that's something. It's a live gate as important as it used to be, Frank. I don't and know. Jack, and Jack, let's face it. Crawford has shown... As great as he is in the ring, he's not a good businessman. He doesn't have much of a personality. He doesn't know how to sell a fight. And in today's day and age, Jack, you need a brand. I mean, look at an idiot like Antonio Brown. He dominates the news. The guy's an idiot and a troublemaker. But people, it's just when you appeal to the lowest common denominator, it just seems that you can bring in and gain the most followers. Antonio Brown's going to get a job as a TV analyst when it's, it's over. You know, that he's going to fight Jake Paul first. Certain conduct is uh, rewarded. <laughs> well, I, has Antonio Brown ever laced on a glove? At least No, Jake but they, I've already seen the talk where they're talking about him fighting Jake Paul. I want to give Jake Paul at least some credit about this. At least he's working out like a boxer trying to learn He's limited in how far he can go. He can beat the non-boxers because Jake Paul now actually has turned into a boxer finally. Exactly. He's, he's got B.J. Flores show. training him. He's not a freak show, Jake Paul. 
No, and he knows how to sell a fight. Uh, yeah, and oh, speaking of selling a fight, he he's a promoter, and they got Amanda Serrano, and you know who he promotes, and she, he she's supposed to fight Katie Taylor and Madison oh. Square Garden April thirtieth, which is going to be great for women's boxing. You're right, it is. You know, Jack, I wish I get excited about women's boxing, but you know what? Let's turn the corner. We said we would talk about this. You know, the light heavyweight division, which Joe Smith is in, hasn't been that really exciting. But, you know, Jack, there was a one time, and you know this as well as I do, that when the light heavyweight champ challenged the heavyweight champ, it was a big deal. And back in the day before, say, 2000, there wasn't a big difference in their size. Yeah, I mean, but somehow we felt it was. Looking back, that's why I hate revisionist thinking, you know. Sugar Ray, the great Sugar Ray Robinson, the consensus pound for pound greatest fight of all time, okay? The majority of people would say that. He challenged Joey Maxim for the light heavyweight title, and Robinson was a middleweight. Robinson was beaten by the Heat at the end of the 13th round. He collapsed because of the heat. He was far ahead on right. points. Referee Ruby Goldstein had to be taken out two rounds. After the 10th round. It was in New York. Had Robinson won that fight, there would have been some movement for him to fight Rocky Marciano. Marciano. And everyone said after, oh, he would have been way too small for Marciano. Marciano only weighed 187, 188. Okay, and Robinson didn't always stretch it to 160 pounds. Let's say weighed 157 when he was a middle. That's what he was for Maxim. Oh, he was. Okay, I didn't realize that. But he could have. Yes. Nothing would have stopped Robinson from getting up to 170 pounds or whatever to fight Marciano. So the weight difference we don't think would have been so great. But how it was back in the day. The light heavyweights, for years and years, Frank, it was like a curse. They would challenge yep. the heavyweight title, and they they get set back one light heavyweight after the other. And these were great fighters, these light heavyweights. But until Michael Spinks, the Spinks jinx, broke the jinx in 1985 by defeating Larry Holmes by decision, you know, no light heavyweight ever was able to successfully move up. And Billy Kahn, Jack, was doing pretty good against Joe Lewis. I actually think his size helped him a little bit because Lewis was like Ali to the fact that they both like a bigger target and a bigger guy. Kahn being elusive and quick, I think that helped, helped him survive Lewis. Archie Moore, different story when he fights Marciano in 55. There wasn't – in fact, when they weighed in, there was only like a quarter-pound difference in yeah. their weight. But Marciano was a thick bone guy, and and Moore, being a boxer puncher, was forced to fight Marciano more than he could box him. And I think he realized he had to knock him out, and he didn't have the guns to trade with Rocky. And then the next big Not one after that, in the second round with an uppercut, though he, he did he did catch him. But you know what? You could tell Marciano wasn't hurt. He just caught him coming in. Rocky was a Colts, a, a slow starter. The next time out for that, Jack, was Bob Foster and Joe Frazier. And I remember reading the magazines at the time, and there were people that thought Foster had a chance. I was in sixth grade. I knew that the Chevy could not beat the Mack truck. And even though there was – Foster was, what, 188 for, for Frazier, and I think Frazier was like 206. A lifetime apart. Plus, a lifetime apart. He drank beer for the fight in a way to gain some weight. You know, Foster was an oddity. Within his own division, he was absolutely devastating. But anytime he fought heavyweights, he'd get demolished. I mean, it's... He, fought, he lost to Doug Jones, Far, Foley, Terrell. Yeah, I mean, and like when he fought, you know... Ali, you know, he fought a representative fight against Ali. He cut him, but, you know. Ali toyed with him after a couple rounds. Yeah, Ali was just too big, too physical. And Frazier, you know, just demolished him. He fought a decent first round with Frazier. But as soon as Frazier hit him a hard left hook, 
It was all over. He had no Yeah, durability. Foster actually broke his ankle falling down. Yeah, no durability. But now, I mean, you look at the light heavyweights. Now could better be, you know, possibly put on some weight. We talked with his assistant trainer, John Scully. They're not too keen on that. But now we got the cruiserweight division, the what's it called, the bridgerweight division and different divisions. And a light heavyweight isn't going to move all the way up the heavyweight. Like if a heavyweight's 250 pounds, 170 Yeah, they're too big now. But back in the day, the you know, the weight was within, you know, range. But, Jack, that's why I give Michael Spinks so much credit. Yeah. And I don't think he gets enough. Did he fight prime Larry Holmes? Absolutely not. However, in one fight in three months, Spinks fought Holmes, who was 50 pounds bigger than any opponent he ever fought. And look, there's a lot of a lot of debate about the second fight. I thought that Holmes won the second fight, but Spinks clearly won the first fight. And a lot of that had to do with Holmes, 35 years old, a little slower than he had been in his prime. Not in his prime, but he was still absolutely. But I don't. But I think he miscalculated Spinks on how hard he'd be to hit. And Larry Holmes, like Muhammad Ali, did not like to fight as the puncher. Or the aggressor. They like the opponent coming to them. Spinks made Holmes be the catch and kill fighter. And the style but just me, was a bad matchup you. that night when Holmes wasn't ready. He was more prepared for the rematch. I thought he won it. But you can't take anything away from Spinks. That's why when we talk pound for pound, I always have Spinks way up there, Jack. Because they can talk about these guys that won four and five titles moving up two, four, five pounds. Spinks be the guy 50 pounds bigger than well, anybody he'd ever fought. Frank. Spinks was a light heavyweight who moved up and won the heavyweight title. But by the time he fought Holmes the first fight, he had Mackie Shillstone, you know, a specialist, you know, work right. with him. He was actually a heavyweight. He take a, he he turned from a light heavyweight to a heavyweight. So by the time he, he put got, 20 pounds of muscle on, yes, he right. did. There was no going back to light heavyweight. Hypothetically, hypothetically, let's make believe, okay, for one moment. Let's say Holmes stopped Spinks in that first fight. He beat him. Let's say stopped him, hit him a good shot, and knocked him out. Let's just make believe. Spinks probably would have moved back down to light heavyweight. And he may have never been the same. It wouldn't have been the same kind of with him with Roy Jones and Antonio Tarver to a degree when he made the Rocky Balboa movie. They were never the same. I think by the time Spinks got in the ring with Holmes, he was a heavyweight for good. He transitioned. And look, he won the rematch, even though we both think Holmes won. Spinks still fought a representative fight, a good fight. And we could. some people might say, oh, he got knocked out in the round by Mike Tyson because he really was a light heavyweight. But then I'll throw this back at you. Look what he did against Jerry Cooney, a much bigger guy. He certainly punched The Tyson thing was Frazier-Foster, Jack. It was a style fight. And Tyson and Frazier, because they're swarmers, they imposed their physicality on you. And that's what was a bad matchup for Michael Spinks. Let me just say this in closing. Because I knew Michael a little bit and was around him, he was making light heavyweight with no problem when he fought Larry Holmes. Jack, he wanted a big money fight. He couldn't get Hagler. He was willing to go to 167. Hagler wanted no part of it. Hagler made a great business move fighting Hearns and Duran, bringing those guys up to him who he knew he could beat, and they were even more money. So it was a great business move for Hagler. But so when Spinks couldn't get Hagler, he looked to Holmes. Yeah. Okay, Frank, I'll give you that. But one of the viewers backtracking saying Spence has not wimped out of a Crawford fight. More solid pay-per-view numbers, much more solid. You know, he fought Mikey Garcia, Spence. I think Mikey Garcia was much more responsible for the pay-per-view numbers and what he brought to the table than what Spence did for the fight. Spence has clearly been managed better, Jack. And that baloney that they had with the Porter fight, with Crawford, right. nobody loves boxing more than me. I couldn't find it. I had to go to a strip club to watch it. Okay, I still believe Aram did that to to stick it to Crawford, so the numbers wouldn't be good. 
Yeah, well, yeah, I can't, I can't argue that point. But my point with Spence, and I keep using the word "wimped out of a fight." Maybe I'm going to use a little more diplomatic language going forward. You know, uh, the point is this: you could say that Spence accomplished more this way, that way. But on virtually every pound for pound list, every pound for pound list I've seen for the last three years or so, correct me if I'm wrong, Crawford has rated higher than Spence on all those lists. Jack, I don't think he's accomplished more. I think he's been managed better and he's been in yeah. front of the public better against better names. But you're right. I, on I, the pound for pound list, Crawford's is higher, higher. Okay, I just wanted to respond to some of the viewers here. Okay, since we're on light heavyweight, Frank, tell us about our spotlight fighter. All right, Jack. Tonight we're going to spotlight Jose Torres, who was one of, who was a custom auto protege. He was the light heavyweight champ for a couple fights in the mid '60s. He beat Willie. He beat Willie Pastrana for the title. He lost it to Dick Tiger. People forget that he was a 56 gold, a silver medalist as a junior middleweight the same year Patterson won the um, Patterson won the middleweight division, right? Well, well, let me tell they, you, he, Frank, the reason he was a silver medalist, he lost to Laszlo Papp, a three-time Olympic champion. One of the best Olympic fighters ever. ever. Right. And people forget, Jack, that Torres... He, fought, he wrote biographies. He wrote a Tyson biography. He wrote a Muhammad Ali biography. He was the New York commissioner from 1984 to 88. I'll give you a quick funny story that I know of. When he beat Willie Pastrano for the title, I had a friend. My father's buddy was good friends with a guy who hung out with Pastrano. And everybody knows what a ladies man he was. Before he fought, he defended the title against Torres. He was in Louisiana, where he was from. Had a couple drinks. He's flirting with a woman there. He doesn't know she's married. Not many people know this story. The woman's husband and another guy sucker punch him, beat him up. He's in the hospital. This was kept quiet a couple weeks before he had to go into training for the Torres fight, he always said that's what hurt him and why he lost to Torres. Willie was a great boxer, not a big puncher. I don't think that made a difference in the fight. Torres is not an all-time great light heavyweight, but he was a very good boxer with the peekaboo style, which Customato taught Patterson, Torres, and Tyson. And that was pretty much the case you know, of Jose was, Torres. Torres was charismatic. He... He was he resided in the New York area from Puerto Rico, came to New York, and right. they liked him like the writers, like Jimmy Breslin. I mean Norman Mailer. He was, he was articulate. Norman Mailer, Pete Hamill. They loved being friends with a fighter like Torres. And Torres, you know, had some good wins on the way up a stop one. He only lost three times, Jack. He created the buzz, you know, when he knocked out Bobo Olsen in one round. Until today, I was under the impression, well, Olsen was at the end of his line. Well, Olsen only had like three fights after that, but Olsen scored a couple of good wins after that. He won two or three fights. We beat Pyro Del Papa, a very good fighter after that, and lost the majority decision to Don Fulmer, who was uh, a middleweight contender. So who, who Olsen, Torres beat. Right, so Olsen had something left, you know. I thought Torres personally lost to Eddie Cotton, but most people had him slightly ahead in that fight. So, okay. I'll that was his, one of his title defenses. Uh, I saw on your Facebook page, Frank, one of your, you know, your fa Facebook friends, a really knowledgeable guy, Carl Hegman, referred to something, well, Torres didn't want to fight Bob Foster. Their paths never really crossed, in all honesty. They never completely crossed. By the time Foster won the title, Torres only had a couple of fights left. He wasn't even in a right. position to challenge Foster. No one want, and wanted any part of Foster light heavyweights at that time. Foster was a monster. But on the way up, Foster knocked out Eddie Cotton in three rounds. I think it was right after Torres lost the rematch that Dick Tiger was in training for. So the paths never completely crossed. With that said, 
I don't think Torres would have wanted any part of him anyway, you know, but you know, it's what it is. Listen, Torres was a durable guy. He was only stopped one time by Florentino Fernandez. He only lost three times. I think he was like 41, three and one, 29 knockouts. He had an outstanding career. He may be more remembered, Jack, for his writing and being the commissioner, almost like a John Madden where he's more remembered for his commentating than his coaching. Torres was an outstanding fighter, not great. He had never beat Bob Foster. But again, I agree with you. Their past didn't cross yet. Torres actually a couple times talked about fighting Muhammad Ali, and he also mm -hmm. talked about fighting Oscar Bonavina. Well, no, he said – he wrote down, I read – that he sparred with Bonavina in the gym and people were telling him he gave Bonavina a beating and Torres said, well, it wasn't really a beating, but he made it seem like he handled him. I don't put much stock in any sparring session, Frank, not at all. You know, cause listen, if they fought in their primes, Torres of course could have given Bonavina health around the two. I'm not doubting that, you know? Right. Sparring's about you do okay. Listen, Paul Spadafora completely took Floyd Mayweather to school in one sparring session because it was the right time. Mayweather apparently wasn't in top shape. That's what Spadafora said. Sparring, you know, no matter how it goes, you can't say that. Jack, Jerry Quarry handled Joe Frazier sparring. Jimmy Ellis handled Muhammad Ali sparring. I sparred Michael Spinks a few times, and you would think I could hang with him. You can't go by sparring. I did. A, Everything's I did a, different with the little gloves under the big lights and, and no headgear. Okay I did okay with Vito Antifermo from time to time in the gym. You can't tell sparring, but it's like, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is what Torres told me in regard to challenging for the heavyweight title with Muhammad Ali. After he'd retired, I said to Torres, do you honestly think you could have beaten Ali? And he said he said he did at the time because Ali was a heavyweight who didn't use his weight. He didn't fight like a heavyweight. That's what no. Torres said. But I don't go for that argument because if Ali had to use his weight, and you feel the guy's weight even when he's not leaning on you. You feel his speed, the power of his punches. You feel the physical presence just by the guy being there. But, but here's the thing, though, Jack. He would have never beat Ali, but I will say this. Most people, if you go back and you look at Ali's career, Ali was more troubled by smaller, quicker guys who made him force the fight opposed to the Listons, the Foremans, the Lyles, and guys like that, the guys that tried to impose themselves physically on Ali. And speaking of physically imposing guys, Jack, Let's talk about our anniversary fight. This is almost George Foreman month, but George Foreman had some huge fights in the month of January. Last week, we talked about his fight with Jerry Cooney. We'll probably touch on his fight with Joe Frazier next week. But this week, we're going to look at his fight with Ron Lyle. It was Foreman's first comeback fight after he lost the title to Muhammad Ali 15, year, 15 months earlier. He was now trained by Gil Clancy. He went into the ring with a record of 40 wins, the loss to Ali, 37 knockouts. Lyle was 31-3 and with one draw, 22 knockouts. The staring before that, Jack, I don't know if you remember this at Caesars Palace, it was one of the best starings I ever saw I before any, any fight. Each guy was down twice. It was the fight of the year, and I remember watching the fight, Jack, and I remember thinking at one point, Lyle had Foreman pretty hurt, and I remember thinking if he just stayed away and moved and took, took a step to the left every once in a while and wasn't a stationary target, he might have had a shot, but Foreman's power froze him. He went in, and he finished him. I have one more point to make about that fight. But let me hear your take. Was I mean, was that a boxing match, Frank? Was that an alley fight? It was an alley fight. You know, I couldn't help but think, watching that version of Foreman, uh, what Joe Frazier, after the fight, he left and he was smiling and he said, that's not the same Foreman that did me in. I'm going to teach him a lesson next time. 
But Foreman was better the second time against when he fought Joe Frazier than he was when he fought Ron Lyle. I I just feel it wasn't the same Foreman who beat Frazier, you know, in Kingston, Jamaica. And it was just a wild Pier 6 brawl over there. Just a question, he outlasted Ron Lyle. I don't think that fight could have gone on much longer. If no. Lyle could have somehow survived Foreman, the power would have went off his punches. It would have been like Zaire all over again. He wouldn't have been the same threat. But both guys were just giving it all they had. And at the end, you know, these two, you know, trucks collided. And Foreman's was just had a little too much at the end of the day. Jack. What a fight. Jack, this is why this show works. And this is why I like doing the show with you. Because what I'm about to say, you really served it up for me because you understand the fight game. Now, here's the thing I've wanted to get out for so long, and I have in articles and other venues, but to the people watching. You know, when they talk about Foreman, they say, well, Foreman could be outboxed. They point to the Jimmy Young fight. They point to some of his less than stellar fights after the Zaire fight. As we know, George Foreman had a falling out with Dick Sadler, thought that he put something in his water before the fight, all the excuses he made. But here's my problem with Gil Clancy, and I'll admit it's Monday morning quarterback. But, Jack, after Foreman lost to Ali, Gil Clancy totally reinvented him and made him a wait-and-react counter-puncher. And it was like... I can't believe that he did that because he took away his strength and his power. And I just think that Lyle was able to catch Foreman, and that's how he hurt him. He was not the same killer and ferocious seek-and-destroy fighter that he was against Frazier. And I always wonder to this day why Gil Clancy, instead of feeding into the thought that George didn't have stamina. Why didn't he pull him aside and say, George, look, Ali beat you in Zaire. We know you're embarrassed. We know it's hard to accept. But let's get something straight. What Ali did to you with the Robodope and taking your punches, there's no other man on this planet who could beat you fighting like that. And the odds are, in his age, he could not do it again, but instead they reinvented his entire style. They took away all his power and his physicality. And to me, Jack, that's why he lost to Jimmy Young. I knew Jimmy Young well, and he said, it's great to have four on my record. I didn't never beat the 40-0, 37 knockout foreman that Ali fought. He was a different guy. Yeah, I, but but – let me throw this at you, too. I'm not saying you're wrong in what you're saying. But once Foreman was hit hard, it was like all bets were off in the Lyle fight. He, you know, went at Lyle. Lyle went at him. There wasn't any rhyme or reason. It was just a Pierce Six Alley brawl. Who was going to outlast who? They was like swinging for the fences. And uh, listen, I mean, great, great fight. A classic. I mean, great fight. Both knocked down. And when George finished Lyle in that fifth round, you know, see, some people said, well, Lyle kind of quit, mentally caved. No, he didn't move. He was out. He didn't quit. George got him in a corner and really, you know, was late. He, he must have hit him with 25 shots unanswered. Hard, hard blows. You know, when you think a near misses in a guy's career, we're talking about Foreman. You know, Lyle, he came close to winning that fight with Foreman. Imagine had he won that fight. And maybe if Ali doesn't catch him in the 11th round, it continues for five more rounds. Maybe Lyle upsets Ali. And then we think around Lyle differently. He's in the Hall of Fame then, you know, with those two wins. So, you know, it's what it is. Lyle was overshadowed by that, by that era by some great fighters. There's no doubt about that. Lyle would be a factor today. But it just, oh, I just could never understand why Clancy totally reconstructed Foreman after he lost to um, 
Ali. It was like nobody else could do what Ali could do. Because if you remember, Jack, in that fight. Wait, 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 Ali. Speaking of Ali, Frank, isn't today a special day? Today is Muhammad Ali's 80th birthday. 80th and birthday. today, January 17th, today, Ali born in 1942. He would have been 80 years old. And here's one for you, Jack. I wrote it down of all the famous people that were born on January 17th. And a lot of them are boxers. You ready? Muhammad Ali. Alex Ramos, the guy we both know who was a uh, standout in the 80s. I put him up there with all of them in my book, Alex. <laughs> Absolutely. Alexander Usyk, Customato, and Buddy McGirt, and then Betty White, James Earl Jones. Big day for January 17th. But you know what? When I think of the 17th, it only is one person, and that's the GOAT, Cassius Marcellus Clay. Yeah, you know, it reminds you, as much as we love boxing, Frank, you know, what a tough sport it could be. I have no doubt Sally's life was cut short. He passed at 74 because of the cumulative effect of the punishment in the ring. But if he didn't have boxing and he was just another person in society, I have no doubt Ali would have been a success. I remember Johnny Boss saying that a guy like Ali would have been a success in something. Even as a salesman, how do you not buy his product? Vince you know? Lombardi said he couldn't play tight end. Well, Ali didn't really like football to get him. No, he didn't, but he said he had the athletic ability. Right. Uh, did you mention Customato? Yes. Uh, Customato, his birthday. Customato, you know, interesting character. We haven't really talked about him on this show. We don't have that much time left today. Maybe there'll be another time we could go really more in detail about Customato because he wasn't a fighter. So we can't spotlight him as a fighter. He doesn't have an anniversary date as a fighter. But Customato has been one of the better known names, at least recent times. Because when you talk about the Mike Tyson story, obviously Customato's prominent. But Customato was pretty popular before that because he took a young kid from Brooklyn and built him up from scratch, Floyd Patterson, to the heavyweight title. But, you know, Cus was a controversial character. I gather you weren't the biggest fan, but I was a big fan of Customer. <laughs> so, so you read my page. Yeah, I read your page. Yeah, I mean, listen, I like to, it's hard sometimes to respond because people have their own views. And I'm not trying to convince anyone otherwise who's familiar with someone because everyone's entitled to their opinion. I just feel Customato more so than any other boxing person introduced us to the mental aspects, made us think a little more with that, like put it first, forefront. A lot of people felt Customato was a knucklehead with some of those views. I they think he was a voodoo in. guy, Jack, but I do agree with you. He did bring the mental aspect into it. Let's face it, that's a big deal. But some of the things, you know, you could train a guy for one fight to beat the heavyweight champion of the world. Please, no, no. And the media soaked up with some soaked up some of the things he said and then when you look at tyson you think about tyson's early career even as an amateur do you even though i think cuss was a little bit of a huckster think about the advantage tyson had when he had a guy like customato in his corner as an amateur and saying look the guy in the other room the guy in the dress room across the hall mike he's more afraid than you Go out there and do what we worked on and give it your best. But I'm telling you, he's more afraid than you. Take the fear. Take the fire. Make it work for you. I just think Cuss had a lot of a lot of Cussisms that they bought into. He did take three guys from nothing and he made Frank. You liked Teddy Atlas's mental approach. You said he would be the best guy for Anthony Joshua right now. Because I think Anthony I Joshua needs a psychologist. I agreed with you, but that's Teddy Atlas's mentor, Customato, who taught him all this stuff. So Jack, some guys need some guys need that. I agree, but I just think Cus got a lot of people into to buy into voodoo that really didn't exist. But they won't challenge him. Just like Bernard Hopkins. I love Bernard. He's one of the smartest guys that's ever laced up a glove. But I've been at press conferences with him, Jack, 
where he's just had writers in a trance saying things. I'm saying to myself, Bernard, this is wrong. I called him out on things, and Jack, he's never, ever confronted me on it. But it's like because I know, and I think Cuss just because he acted as if he knew before he knew, I don't think he was questioned. Okay, I think we're wrapping up now, but this is good stuff, Frank. I want to kind of resume this, you know, because Customato we will more, you know, a discussion, the mental aspects of boxing. Absolutely. The physical. So I think maybe next week we're going to pick up on this. Uh, but, Frank, I had a blast like usual boxing people like us. We could go on all night. You know? Ditto. Till next, till next week, everyone. Thanks for tuning in.